0: Hello there, listener. Hope you're an Android developer. Welcome to The Context, episode 27. This time, we have a special guest with us from Mozilla Firefox team, Sebastian Kaspari. Hey, Sebastian. Hey. How are you doing? Pretty good. Oh, glad to have you here. So what we would like to have a discussion about today is about components and how uh, Firefox and Mozilla is doing component-based UI development and also business logic development, I guess. But we will dive into that later. Would you mind to introduce a little bit?
1: Sure. So, hi again. I'm Sebastian Kaspari. I'm an Android engineer working at Mozilla um, for about three and a half years now, a little bit over that. When I started at Mozilla, I worked on Firefox for Android. Later moved on to Focus or Clar for Android, which is um, a privacy-focused browser from Mozilla, uh, also for Android and now work in a team that's just called Android Components where we try to build reusable components um, that power all our Android apps at Mozilla.
0: Is Mozilla like your first Android-related
2: job?
1: Um, I worked at several other companies before on Android. Um, um, Car-related companies and also mail applications.
0: Oh, interesting. Uh, How did you get, like... The job at Mozilla, I'm, I'm curious because it's like a non-profit organization, how, how does this in general work?
1: The answer is quite boring, um, I applied like for any other job. <laughs> <laughs> I did contribute some patches before that so I was already familiar with the project a little bit and like other companies Mozilla has um, job openings and I just applied. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome, okay, interesting. And if I'm not mistaken, you are working remotely, as many other contributors to the Mozilla projects in general are doing, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I'm uh, located in Germany. I work from my home, and most of the team I interact with is in uh, Northern America.
0: Oh, is there a real Mozilla office, or how is it structured?
1: There are offices in multiple countries. There's one in Berlin, in Germany, for example, and. In the US, in the usual places like San Francisco and Mountain View and Portland and also offices in Canada, Toronto and Vancouver.
0: Oh, awesome. Interesting. How is it working in such a big and distributed company?
1: Um, I, r- I like it really. Mozilla itself is a great place for working remotely just because I think something close to 50% of the people are working remotely. and it's uh, the way working at Mozilla works is just made for working remotely. I think so. You don't feel like someone, a special in a team that is uh, located in an office, and you are the only one remotely. It's like mm-hmm. everyone is kind of remotely. Even if you work at an office, you might work with people at different offices, and then it's almost the same situation.
0: Amazing. Yeah, I think that is that is much more enjoyable while doing like working remotely or home office all the time, if kind of everyone is working on the same level by saying everyone is kind of remotely.
1: Yeah. So, um, for example, meetings, they are always uh, a video online chat. Um, Things are documented online.
0: Awesome. Sounds really, really nice to be, a really nice workplace to work. Cool. One question I always have about this kind of open source or nonprofit organization is, how does, for instance, Mozilla Prioritize work? Like, how, how, how does that work?
1: So on the Android application level, it's not that different, actually. We also have in our team um, a product manager um, we, uh, who makes a roadmap for the apps. And the engineering teams contribute ideas to these roadmaps. So and we have stakeholders and the leadership team has ideas. So. Um, it's not that different um, with maybe the caveat that um, or or the distinction between other companies that we um, have, um, um, or Mozilla itself has a mission and therefore we have a clear goal that is not the same like in most other companies where you have business goals. They are a little bit different at Mozilla at times maybe. That
0: sounds interesting. I, I never thought about like, business goals and Mozilla, and yeah, good, good to know how, how this works. Let's dive probably down a little bit deeper into the Android-specific parts. So what exactly have you worked on?
1: As I mentioned, in the beginning, I worked on Firefox for Android, and I didn't really work on the same part most of the time. So I was more like someone who jumped around and worked on different parts wherever work was needed. The the Android team back then was quite small, definitely way smaller than some large Android teams at big companies. So mm-hmm. um, we, or I, used that opportunity to look into different things wherever help was needed. Um, so things I remember from back then is that I worked on um, the icons, browser icons, like um, in the UI you need to, display icons for a website, like icons, and even though that sounds like a very small simple thing, it's quite complex if you want good icons for for the websites you have visited. Mm-hmm. Um, or I worked on the Top Sites panel, that's the start screen if you open Firefox Android, where we show you pages that you've visited recently and some recommendations, and one project I remember was of about downloadable content. Um, So Firefox itself is very, or was very concerned about APK size, um, Mm -hmm. because we want to, we want people globally to have the ability to download and use Firefox. So in some countries it's preferable to have a very small app. And I worked on a project called downloadable content where we tried to have some pieces of the UI or assets the, uh, app needs to download at runtime instead of shipping it inside the APK. Mm-hmm. For example, Firefox 100 comes with a bunch of fonts that are needed to display certain pages nicely. And we changed the dependency on, on those fonts to something we could download after the fact.
2: Ah,
0: interesting. That's, that's actually nice, I think. What, what is like the current APK size? Do you know that?
1: Um, I have to guess, but it should be around 50, 60, 70 megabytes. Gotcha.
0: Oh, interesting. Is, is something like uh, App Bundle and uh, the dynamic features from Google something you are always, are, already uh, have looked in? Or is that not on your radar because it's basically software with your own downloadable
2: a solution?
1: It's something we want to look into for our new apps. Um, for Firefox for Android, we... Um, so back then when we implemented this, there was no such uh, API yet. There were no Android app bundles. So for new mm-hmm. apps, we definitely want to look into using those capabilities. It's yeah way better to rely on the Google Play APIs if we can Instead of implementing this ourselves, especially with this small team.
2: Yeah, yeah, makes sense.
0: Um, I'm wondering, is the Android Firefox somehow related to the desktop app in terms of do they share code somehow, like the rendering engine or any CSS engine or whatever
2: else?
1: Oh, yeah, um, a lot, actually. Um when I started contributing to uh, Firefox 100, there wasn't a, even support for IDE, which was Eclipse back then. And mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I edited files in, um, in normal text editors and had to run the build commands of desktop Firefox. Um, oh, so, so you had to go in and edit some config files so that the build process will create an Android app instead of um, a desktop browser. So that was kind (laughs) of exciting to do. And uh, back then, you even had to compile all the engine pieces that are C++ and so on. Oh. If If you didn't have anything cached back then, it took about on a, on the a latest MacBook, 20 to 40 minutes to build the whole thing. Um, that, but this has improved a lot over the time. So some teams make very awesome progress on uh, migrating this to something that feels like an Android app, um, <laughs> where you can import this into Android Studio. It's a Gradle project. Um, the pieces that require um C code, so all the native code of the Gecko engine, our web engine. Um mm-hmm. the build process is able to download those as pre compiled binaries from our build servers now. So nowadays ah. um if you do not need to touch this native code, you can build it as a normal Android app. And um this will only take like a couple of minutes, like depending on how how late how how you how long it's ago, your last build, basically. Um,
2: yeah, gotcha.
0: I also can imagine that this is something for a open-source contributor. Like in the past, I guess this was also a obstacle that one has to overcome before being able to contribute. But with this new setup, I think it's much easier now to contribute to the
2: project, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That was complicated. So I, I did start as a contributor as well. And yeah. You you have this very big um, mono repo where it does everything Firefox related in it. It's huge. Um, you have to learn those very specific tools that Mozilla uses um, because of those special needs, they, or uh, Mozilla had to invent specific tools for, for almost everything. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that was quite complicated back then. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I can imagine.
0: <laughs> so I have no idea how actually a browser works or how actually the architecture of a browser look like. Would you mind guide us a little bit through the Firefox for Android app? How, how does it work? So you have mentioned there is the Gecko engine, which is bundled in a C, C++ or Rust library and I guess accessed through GNI. Mm-hmm. Um, but how does the whole Overall architectural picture for for Firefox for Android looks like.
1: So that's also very special, (laughs) I think. Um, Let's start at the engine level. So um, Gecko itself and also Firefox um, for desktop um, has a lot of JavaScript code. So even in Firefox for Android, there are a bunch of things that are implemented in JavaScript on top of the engine. Mm -hmm. And there is a a way to pass messages between the JavaScript layer and the Android layer. So you can, it's a little bit like bundles in the Android API. So you can pass those bundles around and you can add data to it. So that's how you can communicate between those two layers. Mm -hmm. And in in the Android app world, it's probably what you would describe as a legacy app. I had to look it up today. Um, The first release of Firefox Runners was about 2010. Wow. So what you would see in the code are a lot of cursors, loaders, uh, (laughs) providers. uh, Oh, all the fun parts. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And most of the pieces in the UI are very big view classes that subscribe to those events and Mm -hmm. based on that, um, render a different state, more or less. Um, And um, there is uh, no very hard boundary between the JavaScript side and the Android side, which means that for some features you can see uh, what kind of developer developed the feature. So a browser (laughs) developer or web developer would usually write most of the things in JavaScript and then only pass messages to the Android side if needed. And an Android Mm -hmm. developer would write everything in Java in this case, and only if needed, pass some messages down to, um, the engine side and do something in JavaScript. Gotcha. So it's, it's a, it's an interesting mix.
0: (laughs) So if I would load the HTML side, I was wondering. Is like the drawing of the actual UI elements, and I'm not speaking about like the Firefox apps UI elements, but you know, all this, all this DOM thingy-ish, is that done by the Gecko engine somehow already via OpenGL calls? Or how, how does this, this work?
1: Uh, yeah, there is um, a surface view somewhere in the UI. And Gecko uses that surface to render um, the web.
0: Ah, okay. Interesting. Gotcha. Yeah, I was I wasn't sure if that's something you also have to take care of on the Android side or if that's already part of the Gecko engine.
1: Yeah, there in, in, in Mozilla there was always a distinction between um, a front end team and a platform team. So we have or back then we had actually two teams. I was on the front end team which worked mostly on the Android parts. We had a platform team that made sure that Gecko works on Android and all those mm-hmm. pieces that need to communicate um, between an, um, between Android, the system, and the engine itself without the app mm-hmm. in between.
0: So the engine contains, yeah, like rendering HTML for sure, but also the JavaScript part and also a CSS engine, or is there any part kind of inside the Android app?
1: No, that's all in our... Uh, rendering engine. And as an Android engineer you you do not see any difference between that, I'd say.
0: Gotcha. Interesting. Oh wow. I had no idea. Now we're coming, I guess, a little bit closer to the Android part of this whole architecture, because this is where you mostly work on, right?
1: Um on the on the new Android components, yeah.
0: Cool. So what is kind of the motivation behind this? Like what was wrong with I I don't know how to say it, but what is wrong with (laughs) just write some UI components in Android? Or why did you change to this componentization approach?
1: Um, We saw two needs. Um, One came from the engineering side, and one maybe more from the management side. And building those components answered both of those needs, I think. Um, Mm -hmm. From the engineering side, for a long time, Mozilla only had Firefox for Android as the main Android app. Uh, like a bunch of other companies probably have two, like a startup starts with one app. And about two years, two 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 and a half years ago, maybe, we started working on um, Focus for Android, which is just privacy-focused browser, uh, very small and slim. Mm-hmm. And we decided, okay, we want this to, we want to build this as a actual Android app and try to build this independently on GitHub without having all those constraints of um, Firefox. So we did Mm -hmm. that and of course, uh, a browser is still a complex thing. We borrowed some code from Firefox for Android, basically copied it over. Then um, this team split into Two teams somehow. <laughs> we wrote another browser app for um, the Fire F- uh, Fire TV from Amazon, the devices, like a TV-focused yeah. browser. Uh, this started as a fork of Focus, and then the team customized this to to be a very TV and video-centric browser.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And. At the same time, or a little bit before that, um, our Android team in Taipei also forked focus into, which became Firefox Lite, which is a browser that's currently available in Asia, um, which is um, focused on being a very small browser for the Asia, in in terms of size, very small browser for Asian markets. And Uh the Fire TV app, also forked into another browser (laughs) we've built for (laughs) um, the Echo Show device, um, this um, Google Home-like device from Amazon. And so from engineering side, we saw, okay, we have a bunch of forks. They are all kind of trying to solve the same problems or have the same problems. And if there are bugs, we need to fix them in all of them. And yeah mm-hmm. so uh, long story short, um, we had the desire to share code between those apps and, and at the same
2: and at the same time, um,
1: while, while we've built all those new browsers, um, the the management team of course saw that we had had the opportunity to um, build apps for different form factors. So we were kind of in need into something or or some mechanism to build browsers faster, right? Because if you start a browser from scratch, that takes a lot of time. Um, and yeah, reusable components um, kind of were able to address both of those problems. Um, we can share code between our apps and we also have a kind of framework to to build new browser-like apps pretty fast.
0: I think that is, that is very interesting to see how, <laughs> how things get forked and the strong requirement for reuse this comp- uh, these components. I, I guess it makes a lot of sense. Just to be clear, like all of these forks and even um, uh, Firefox Focus and the light version, they all use the same Gecko engine, so this kind of thing is one component, so to speak. And f- for all the other components and here I might going to ask you what exactly is the definition of components. You have created like small reusable uh, libraries that contain a component mm-hmm. that every single developer can use or every, every team can use to build
2: their um, Android app out of it.
1: Yeah, that's correct. Um, Gecko that you mentioned is one of those components but we also have um, still apps that are built on top of WebView. Um, Firefox Lite, for ah. example, is a very size-constrained app, so we—it's uh, currently shipping with uh, WebView support. So in our components, we actually support both. Uh, oh, apps.
0: interesting. So basically, so you said um, Focus use, uses Gecko, right?
1: Uh, fo- focus is in kind of a transition mode. We started building it with WebView because uh, when we started. it our Gecko engine wasn't in a state where we could just pull it out of Firefox for Android. It was just one monolith. Um, we did this. We are still working on Gecko View, and focus is in an AB experiment right now where some users get Gecko and some users get View.
0: Oh, cool. Interesting. Yeah, a somehow related question. I might be wrong because I'm not an expert in that area, but. If you use a WebView, you can specify which engine you run, right? So if you use Android's WebView, you can say with the Chrome engine, and I assume you then also have like a Gecko engine or something like that. Is, is, that, is my understanding correct? Or do you have like, a, if a user prefers WebView, then use WebView, else use gecko GeckoView? Um,
1: so at the Android system level you can switch browser engines that implement the WebView API, but that's not what we are using here because that's a system wide, um, option. Um, in our, in our components, what we did is, um, I've, I have to explain a little bit how we structure our components. So um, we have different groups of components and if we we have um, something we call concept components. And those concept components are not containing an implementation. They are just containing interfaces that describe how a component should look like or how other components or an app wants to interact with the component. Mm -hmm. So if we talk about um, Gecko and WebView, there is a concept engine component. And this component describes... In interfaces, how an app interacts with an engine, how you can use a view that somehow renders the web, and then we have implementations of those concept components. That are um, one implementation for WebView, View, uh, multiple actually for Gecko View because Gecko View is released in three different release channels. There is a, like a nightly channel which always tracks the latest version. It's built daily. Or nightly. Um, mm-hmm. There's a beta version and a release version. So we have an abstraction that um, lives in this concept component. And then we have those different implementations um, that an app can use. So in an app, you would, at the compile level, decide in, in your Gradle dependencies which one you actually use.
0: Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, just a follow-up question to clarify a little bit further what a component is in your definition. Are we talking about UI components? Are we talking about business logic? Are we talking about the mix of both of them? Or how, how would you define components?
1: <laughs> that's, that's a good question. So for us, it may be all of that. Um, so for us, a component is something that we can wrap in one independent piece. Um, so um if, if I go back to those categories we use, um we to give you some examples. At the lowest level we have um something we call support components. Um there is for example a component that just wraps all our utility classes and functions, like those things you copy from project to project. Um for example, there is a class in the in the utility component that can extract URLs from a string. Um, Mm -hmm. Something you need in a bunch of places in a browser. Um, So that's, we've wrapped this up as one component. We have uh, in the same group uh, some Kotlin extensions that just make it nicer to work with certain things on from the Android, um, from the only Android system or the Kotlin standard library. then we have um, something we call service components that are usually components that talk to some uh, web service. For example, we have uh, one that's called telemetry, which is um, a component that collects usage data in a, in a way that is privacy preserving. Um, we have an A-B testing framework that needs to talk to some server. So we call those service components and they offer a a nice API that an app can use without implementing all those things itself. Um, We have a group of UI components. Those are very basic, I'd say dump widgets that um, do a certain task like UI widgets that are in the Android uh, standard library. For example, we have um, widget that can do inline autocomplete um, that's something you often need in a browser toolbar where you start typing a domain and then it will uh, offer you to autocomplete this to a known URL. Um, so we have this little widget wrapped up as a component.
2: Then um,
1: mm-hmm. we have um, browser components. So those are uh, usually your eyepieces that make Maybe you uh, that are maybe using um, other components to um, provide a certain functionality. For example, we have a browser toolbar component, like toolbars and browsers are very complex, even though they don't look like that. And this is a component that um, itself doesn't have any logic, but it has the ability to, or it knows how to display and edit URLs. Uh, Another example for such a browser component is um, search. There's a search component that knows what a search engine is, how to get search suggestions from a search engine, and things like that. And often those browser components implement one of those concept components that I mentioned before. So they are um, one specific implementation of interfaces that live in a concept component. Gotcha. And on top of that, we have a, um, a thing we call feature components. Because um, if you have all those very dumb components on its own, you will need a bunch of glue code in between that um, makes them alive, so to speak. And you need yeah, to connect multiple to ask con- uh, components together. And those feature components, for example... Um, There's a feature toolbar component that knows where to get the state from and how to display this on a toolbar, the state. And the interesting thing here is that those feature components as a dependency only have those concept components. So, um, like the feature toolbar component that knows how to display data in a toolbar doesn't depend on actual toolbar implementation. implementation. You can swap in whatever implementation you want so that's oh right it uh, gives us the flexibility to use those um, components in a way that we do not depend too much on them so if we have like a crazy new browser that needs some crazy new toolbar then in theory everything should still work and you just change the implementation or change the component uh, into a different one.
0: Oh yeah makes sense for example, like the search, uh, what is it called? The search component or the search view. It has a search engine you have mentioned. So I, I think search engine is more like the business logic of this thing. And then there's a feature component sitting in between that connects like the uh, search engine with the search uh, UI component. Is, is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's a good description.
0: Okay, cool. So I'm wondering how would you describe this Kind of architectural pattern is it something that comes close to, I don't know, MVP, MVC, MVVM, uh, or how how does this thing communicate in general from this feature component to the to the UI component?
1: So in in the feature component, what we use is kind of MVP-ish, I think. So most of the components themselves don't do anything on on its own. It all comes together in a feature component or in an app that knows how to put them together um so in mm-hmm. our fe- feature component for um a UI component you often see a presenter that subscribes to our global state mm-hmm. and updates the view as it needs which is um just an interface from a concept as mentioned before and we have something we call interactor right now where um That's the piece that is responsible for subscribing to things coming out of the UI piece and doing something with it. So often in traditional MVP that's also the presenter, we created a separate component just to divide those two responsibilities. And then in our feature components, you often find something called a use case class which is um, kind of a public API that other components can use. Um, To give you an example, let's see. Yeah, so our feature session module is um, a module that um, (laughs) connects the engine with our state components. So whenever something happens in the engine, We update our state. So this feature component is responsible for that. And this one has a use case class that knows how to do certain things in the state, for example, creating a new session, which is um, a new tab basically in a browser app and those use cases are things we currently pass around. So some other feature might depend on, on this kind of use case.
2: Ah,
0: so use cases. Like they are not part of this uh, component library, but I, I got the point. Okay. I, th- I think I, I got it. So every app kind of creates use cases or tends to create use cases and those use cases can then be passed around
1: to feature components. Yeah. Um, and feature components themselves implement those use cases. Like a feature provides a feature component component provides certain functionality to the app or other components. And we express this as a use case class right now.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so the use case classes then, or at least the interfaces are part of this feature component, I guess. Okay, gotcha. Makes sense. Oh, wow, that sounds pretty well structured, to be honest. I was expecting from such a, let's say, old app, I think you mentioned that's quite some years old, 2010, you said, right? Yeah, I think that so, is pretty amazing
1: <laughs>
2: to have such a healthy state.
1: That's something we invented from scratch last year based on how we ripped all the code out of our existing apps.
0: Gotcha. All right. Okay, makes sense. I was wondering, do you use Kotlin? I think you have mentioned Kotlin extension before, so I guess you use Kotlin. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, for, for all our new code, we use Kotlin and... Um, Almost all our components are Kotlin. That's one that is in Java, just because it w- it existed before we started this project. That already existed in Java, and soon we are going to replace it with a new implementation. So that's a good way to use Kotlin for that one too.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, cool. So, I, oh, I'm not not actually related to components, but I was wondering, how did Kotlin get started into the Mozilla project? Was that something? You have to align with management or is there some kind of, I don't know, a uh, circle where those kind of tech decisions has to be approved?
1: Um, a little bit. So we had some engineers that were interested in Kotlin before, but we only made the switch after Google announced that it's a first class language for Android. And back then we, yeah, we asked some of our teams like the legal team to do a review because we... Uh, Using Kotlin means you depend on the standard library of Kotlin. So you depend on a bunch of Kotlin code. And we are an open source that we need to check. Is it compatible with the licensing? And yeah. So there was something that you needed. But this was um, driven by the engineering team. The engineering teams wanted to use Kotlin. And I think nowadays there's no one that wants to write any Java code anymore. <laughs> With an exception for the team working on our Gecko View, which is um, um, our engine wrapped as a as a standalone thing, um, this team is still uh, using Java at the moment.
0: Yeah, I, I didn't thought about open source and licensing and those kind of stuff. Yeah, ma- makes total sense. Follow up on on Kotlin. How do you do um, usually? Or maybe this features have some. This feature components has some opinion around this. But how do you deal with asynchronous tasks? Um, do you use RxJava? Do you use coroutines? Is that an abstraction layer that provides, like, to or pushes the choice to the, to the user of these features? Or how does it work?
1: So we don't use RxJava right now, um, mostly for the reason we don't want to push any third-party dependencies on our consumers. Um mm-hmm. just because if we use or decide to use Rx Java and a bunch of other third party libraries, then every app that depends on our components needs to use them as well. We try to avoid this as much as possible. So right now we are using uh Kotlin coroutines. Uh if we need to do something uh something asynchronously. Um mm-hmm. it's a little bit tricky. We we don't have a good pattern yet because since um Since the Kotlin team introduced scopes, we are not really sure who should own the scope, whether it's the component or the app, because um, depending on the component, uh, either the component wants to cancel uh, asynchronous tasks or the app might be interested in doing that. And that's something we haven't really solved yet.
0: Yeah, I see. I see. I feel your pain, yeah. (laughs) Oh, that's a tricky question. Oh, interesting. But apart from that, how happy are you with coroutines in general?
1: Um, overall, I'm happy with them, I'd say. They they are nice to read. They they look simple. Um, the downside is I often feel they are not actually simple. Um, we we definitely saw some issues with testing at times and um I think there are or it looks like, from our experience, there are some tricky pieces that are not obvious at times. So yeah, I I prefer how they are written. It looks like sequential code, but it's still hard at times to fully understand what's going on, I think.
0: Yeah, so there's still a learning curve, I guess.
1: Yeah, and I feel that's um, that's true for the whole Android development community. I feel like everyone is kind of trying to figure out what's the best way to use them and maybe even the Kotlin team like the introduction of scopes was uh, an interesting change which yeah seems to mean that they also they are also uh exploring how this is going to work in 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 the real world
0: yeah yeah i also had the feeling that this change came in very very late and yeah not in a rush but I had the feeling they introduced it because they, they didn't thought about a certain problem that developers might have, and then they have introduced it. But yeah, again, very late in the stage.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, yeah, we will, we will see. I, I totally understand your pain points or the points you've made. Speaking about testing, how do you test those components? I guess they are super nicely isolated and can be tested in indivi- in individually. Um, I was just wondering, how do you test in, or approach testing those components in general?
1: Um, so right now we rely very heavily on unit testing, and that's not mm-hmm. only unit tests, like uh, like the golden rule where you have just where you only test one method and where you only have one at uh, we do, also do very complex unit tests that test multiple things together. We make a lot of use of, um, how it's called, Robo... Robo... Robolectric? Yeah, robo-electric. Um Just because, uh, yeah, we prefer fast tests and running them on a JVM on a machine is definitely nicer than on, on, on an Android device. And we also use Roboelectric for UI pieces, so we... I don't know, infl- maybe inflate some layouts and perform some clicks on it and see what happens in a test. So I was,
0: I was wondering for the UI components, do you also test that the component is layouted properly or like displayed properly? Do you take some screenshot or do some screenshot testing or is that not part of the testing suite?
1: We don't do this right now. Um, we have like the toolbar component, we have some custom layout code in there Mm -hmm. and for that we just wrote unit tests as well. So we call the layout functions on on our views and then we um, look if certain child views are in the right position, basically. Ah, interesting. Just as a a basic uh, unit test.
0: And do you also check some layout uh, parameters there, or is it mostly just that the, ic- that the item at position three or four is there?
1: We we also look at positioning, but um, most of the components are like very basic. Like um, we we don't have any any like large app layouts every, anywhere in uh-huh. our components because that's done at the app level where you put all the things together in a layout. Yeah um yeah
2: um, makes
0: sense
1: but we are currently working on um getting on device tests automated with uh, firebase device lab because there are some things you still want to run on a device we have some dependencies on crypto apis that don't really work with roboelectric and our gecko engine um it would be nice to uh run those tests on an actual device to see um, if I use the toolbar component, for example, in an app, does this actually render something um in, in my sample app? So um that's also maybe interesting. We have a bunch of sample apps next to our components um that we use also for like manual testing.
0: Ah, yeah, I saw them. I found them really useful to get started with. And overall I, I have to admit I like that. Pattern and like the API, like this uh, what were they called? The contract, the the interface components. Mm-hmm. Um Or it was super easy to to get started with, I have to say. Mm -hmm. Okay, so to sum it up, uh, mostly unit tests by testing single methods um, is kind of the strategy that you have in place for these components right now.
1: Yeah, there's another project ongoing where we are going to run certain performance tests um, specifically for our engine. Um, Oh, yeah. we, We want to make sure that this doesn't regress. And because of... Um, our apps and components implementing certain callbacks or delegates of the engine, it can happen that mm-hmm. an app actually slows down the rendering process because it yeah, um, has, has slow responses in some parts of the app. So yeah, we, um, we are heavily exploring ways to measure performance and not reg- regress that.
0: Gotcha, cool. Yeah, one last question about UI components or more for clarification. So we are talking really about something that extends from view group or like from android.view something, right? And not about entirely fragments or something like that.
1: That's correct. Um, our view or UI components are all extending view and also our like browser toolbar. They are, they are as well views at the end of the day with um, specific, thing, specific methods like, like an edit text and Android has a set text method. Um, a toolbar component might have a set URL method. Um, and fragments, on this level, we currently leave it up to the app. So the app decides how to arrange those components, either in a fragment or in an activity. And, yeah, makes a lot of sense. And our features that connect multiple things, they only care about the view. So the app needs to provide the view and the components themselves do not... Care where the view is
0: mm-hmm. coming from. So I was, I was wondering. or it has already been answered partially. I would say how does scoping works in this scenario. So, but I guess like the solution is like the developer has to use a fragment, and then the components used inside this fragment are kind of scoped together. Um, yeah. Makes sense. So I was wondering, maybe something like the search bar and another, I don't know, component that use the same feature or similar use case uh, are kind of scoped somehow together, so that they can share the same search engine business logic Mm -hmm. um, instance. Uh, Yeah, and I was wondering if the components provide something for that, or if it's up to the developer to do that properly.
1: Yeah, that's currently completely up to the developer. So um, we, our, our components are basically very basic they use very basic dependency injection like it's written in a book you pass everything into the constructor that the component needs and you can use whatever dependency injection framework you want that supports it but right now we don't have um an opinion on how you do that um we yeah we i guess we we still need uh, we still need a little bit more experience to understand how apps are using the components until we can maybe make a decision uh, or decide how we can support scaffolding uh, a bunch of uh, components in an easier way.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I guess it makes total sense to be opinionated at this point in time or in general, if you're a library developer, maybe you won't be opinionated about certain architectural or yeah scoping decisions. Uh, I have a follow-up question somehow related to those f- maybe non-opinionated things. But since you don't use fragments, you also don't use architecture components like view model or something like that inside your component libraries. I was wondering if you have like some best practices or how do you do that actually inside uh, the Android Firefox app? How do you keep, for instance, an instance doing screen orientation changes?
1: So in, in our components, that's right, we don't use any of the or we do we use the the life cycle part, so we have some features that um we call them life cycle aware features, so they mm-hmm. they register to a life cycle and can destroy certain things on their own if if the life cycle owner um gets destroyed um but um for for a state, the situation in a browser is that we at least for our components have a lot of global state, so our state is not scope to the activity um or fragment. Like if you if you are not looking at your browser tabs, you still want your browser tabs to be there. Um, and um they are they are usually living in memory because like saving them to disk and loading them would be too slow for most cases. So we have a bunch mm-hmm. of global state that we also have wrapped in a component. Um, and this is yeah more or less a singleton because it's completely, completely unrelated to um, a local scope. It's application level scope, and yeah, components yeah, subscribe to this scope um, either with a lifecycle or with a view, so that we can automatically unregister if a view gets detached, or if a fragment gets destroyed, or an activity gets destroyed.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for clarifying this. It was really insightful. You have mentioned that you started doing these components one year ago or almost a year ago. Mm-hmm. I was wondering now in retrospective, how well did it pay out or would you change something? Would you take a different approach? Any disadvantages that you have encountered?
1: Uh, yeah, so overall it's working quite well. I think we have now um, 11 apps that depend on our components. Um, and we yeah we are for, for the last year we were mostly working on um integrating those components in our apps or replacing functionality in our existing apps with those uh, components and recently we started to work on on new apps that are using those components and that's of course interesting because um as new apps come up and new ideas get around you see um issues maybe in in the way you designed certain components. Uh, and in most cases for UI components, that's often easy to resolve. It just means we need some more options to customize those UI components um, mm-hmm. via styles or XML attributes. Um, for others, it's a little bit complicated. So one thing I would definitely do differently, and that's something we still want to do in the long term, is how we manage state right now. We have one component called Browser Session, which is the singleton I mentioned before, which knows about all the sessions, which are tabs in a browser. They describe what URL are, are is this thing pointing to, uh, what's the title of the website. So everything that a component might need to render um, this tab or whatever. And right now, this is something you can observe. You can absorb changes via listeners, and it's a a mutable state. So in theory, anyone can mutate the state, and then this will invoke some listener. And this is uh, a little bit problematic because that's uh, we we would like to have more control over that.
0: Are there concrete plans or strategies to improve that?
1: I I did a little bit of prototyping, and I tend to go into a direction that is closer to how Redux is opinionated about state. So I want to get into a position where we have uh, an immutable state, we have actions that are dispatched on some store that is the only thing that mutates state or actually creates a new state and components just get a new state and maybe reduce this down to the things they care about. Um, The the tricky part for us is that we already have a bunch of apps that depend on the current implementation. So I'm looking into ways how we can get into a state where we support both at the same time in an app so that we can slowly migrate apps to to the new model. Um, But that's a super long-term progress. It, It will require yeah some prototyping and testing that this actually makes sense because you don't want to migrate all the apps to something just to realize that this doesn't work either
0: yeah yeah I see is there a certain part that you are especially proud about
1: i'm I'm definitely proud on the way how we were able to structure those components like I mentioned in those different levels and how they only how we have those concept components in between this seems to be very powerful. Um, especially as we start new apps and see that certain th- certain components might not be as good as we thought for for a new app, um, it turns out it doesn't matter that much. You you don't need this one component. You can put in another one or build your own feature component around a set of browser components. So um, that turned out to be really great so far.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I can totally see the value of this approach. Cool. Last question about the components it's more about the build system and how you publish them am i right that you just use gradle and you publish them uh, as an android library or on maven central do you have your own maven repository and one thing i would like to hear a little bit more about is how do you do versioning Mm -hmm. because my understanding is every component is packed as a own library is that correct or is that a collection of uh, components that that forms one artifact in your Maven repository.
1: Um, it's multiple components um, built with Gradle, yeah, and we publish to our own Maven repository releases every week and also snapshots every night. Um, oh wow! For versioning, we decided to use a model that is close to what the Android support com- uh, libraries did before they merged, uh, switched to Android X. Which is, we release all of them together with a unified version number. Uh, for us, this has the awesome advantage that we can guarantee if you use version 28 of everything, then we have tested this and are sure that version 28 of everything works together well. Um, as soon as we would migrate to uh, an individual version number like Android X, we would lose that a little bit. We would need to. <laughs> have either very good sem- semantic versioning, which could help, or, or have um, our apps always using the latest version. And that's something we already see doesn't work with even 11 apps.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm
0: curious to see how this will work out for Android X. Yeah, let's see. You said like you release every week. I didn't know that your components are under such high yeah, development. <laughs> I thought they were, like, stable for, like, a month or so before the next iteration or before the next change comes in. Interesting.
1: Yeah, it's still early, so we tried to move pretty fast. And we wanted to avoid a situation where apps, depending on us, are, like, waiting a long time for a release where we uh, release some patches they, they need. Yeah, yeah, so, makes sense. yeah, we, we have, we plan for a week and then we will we'll release every week.
0: How many developers are working on this component?
1: Um, so the Android components team itself has five Android engineers, but this is not, or there are more people actually working on Android components. So we have other teams in inside Mozilla that build components. Um, to give you an example, we have um, an application services team. This team is... Um, working on things like Firefox Sync where you can sync your bookmarks and history between devices and log into your Firefox account. So they are writing, in this case, actually Rust code that runs on all our platforms and that are, in our case, wrapped in a Kotlin code to yeah, provide an Android component for syncing bookmarks, for example. and. Um, we have a telemetry team that builds this telemetry library, and yeah, the Gecko View team that builds this Gecko View component. So we have five people that maintain the project more or less and um, build indi- individual components, but also make sure that they all work together. And then we have other teams building specific components, but also the app teams that contribute functionality back as a component or inside a component. So there's a lot going on.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, it sounds like a a lot of cool stuff going on there. Oh, yeah. One component that uh, surprised me the most was fretboard, which is your A-B testing library, right? Mm -hmm. I had no idea that you kind of have your own solution for that. Or I didn't even thought about (laughs) that you run A-B tests. (laughs) Uh, I don't know why, but maybe it boils down to my previous... uh, yeah, statement. I had no idea that kind of business on product management and product decision has been made in Mozilla at all. Because no disrespect to Mozilla, it was just not on my on my mind when I thought, first thought about Mozilla. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah. I think we have covered most of the stuff. Or
1: um, yeah, one tip if someone is interested in building something like this, um, because we talked about build build systems, um, we, we notice now that we have multiple apps using those components that it's getting um, more interesting to test a new version of a component or develop a new component or change a component and running it, the new code, inside an app um, that uses those components. Which is kind of annoying if you just use Maven which means you need to publish your component to like a local Maven and then consume it from a different app. And we recently uh, noticed that Gradle actually has a feature for that called Gradle Composite Builds, where you can substitute certain dependencies in your um, app by another Gradle project on your disk, like you can have an app consuming our components and the components repository uh, both on your computer and instead of pulling dependencies from Maven it will build the other project and pull the dependencies from there. So that's uh, something that makes testing components in an app that uses them um, much more pleasant because from your Android studio view it looks like one project. Um, As long as you are not using (laughs) Jetifier, <laughs> which breaks this setup, unfortunately.
2: Uh mm-hmm. I see you're not a huge fan of them, <laughs>
0: at I'm, least in your environment.
1: <laughs> I'm a huge fan of of Jetifier. Um, w- during the migration process, it's super helpful to migrate Net, but it's super painful in our setup um, because it means. Um, Android component, our components, we can't migrate them to Android X until all consumers of our components have used Android X. Um, oh, right, yeah. So, I haven't thought
0: about that yet. So, yeah. yeah,
1: again, we don't want to force the migration on every team because those teams have other um, things to do at times. <laughs> um, so, yeah, the only way we can do this is to migrate apps first and then walk up the dependency tree. And for that, Jetifier is a great tool. Um, it, yeah, it just doesn't work with our specific Gradle composite builds.
0: Yeah, I see. Oh, oh, one last question that came into my mind. So you have mentioned before that, that the sync, the bookmark syncing is written in Rust and you basically have a GNI wrapper using Kotlin around this. Are there any plans uh, to use Kotlin native or something like that instead?
1: Um Inside the Android Components team, I would love to play with that a little bit. On a broad Mozilla scale, I don't think that's feasible right now, mostly because um, those teams need to address a bunch of different platforms um, like macOS, Linux and Windows 2, and they are, just, they are just more used to thinking in system level programming languages like Rust, I think. And also Kotlin native, it's quite early. I wouldn't want to use it in a production app right now, maybe. And, and I think the biggest blocker for us would be uh, having a Firefox desktop build depend on Kotlin compilers. Uh, that means uh, a lot of yeah. buy-in from the whole organization.
0: <laughs> and Rust is not a bad language. And it was actually developed or started at Mozilla, right? Yeah. Yeah, cool. Makes a lot of sense. So I guess this is all for this episode. Or do you want to add something more?
1: Uh, No, thank you very much for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you so much, Sebastian, for joining this session. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. All right, I'm stopping the recording now.